This morning, I'm going to sing a song. It's called How Can It Be by uh, Lauren Diego. And uh, the, I have a video. It's not too long that uh, Brother Jeff's going to play. Hey, my name is Lauren Daigle, and this is the story behind the song How Can It Be. My producer, Paul Mabry, came to me one day and he said, Lauren, I have this song to show you. He wrote it with his friend uh, Jason Ingram and Jeff Johnson. And I said, Okay, sure, I'll, I'll take a listen. And as I listened to the song, the words became so alive and tears just streamed down my face and I couldn't believe that I was responding this way to the song. And he, he said, Lauren, let me tell you about the story. Let me paint a picture for you of John 7 when Jesus is riding in the sand and the Pharisees bring in this adulterous woman and say, Jesus, aren't you going to stone her? What are you going to do? Aren't you going to stone her? And according to the law, he is supposed to stone her, but he does the most shocking thing of all. He extends grace to her. And I, I just recognized, you know, a place when I deserved the worst, you know, and God just completely ransomed me. With my dirty hands, he just washed me white. And in my sin and in my shame, he fought for me. He, he pled my cause. And... Um, it just really humbled me as I listened to this song. So I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you, you know, experience the redemption that I did. This is my song, How Can It Be? chains you've overcome 
You gave your life to give me mine. You say that I am free. How can it be? I've let you down Inside I doubt That you could love me But in your eyes There's only grace now You feed my call chains you've overcome you gave your life to give me mine you say that I am free how can it be you're not getting out by by 11.25. It's that time. Today, I want to talk to you, and and this thought crossed my mind the other day, going... Uh, 
Christian maturity is really the subject of today. Okay, there's not a pool in the Bible. Uh, well, a swimming pool. Let's go with a pool of water, I believe. But as I was watching Ella the other day, and I was thinking about her and how she went from rolling everywhere and to where now she's crawling, and man, she can book it. Oh, and and then more recently, she's pulling up on everything. Oh, that maturity level as you go through that. The problem with me relating to that is not many of you can remember. There we go. There's some volume. Not many of you can remember when you learned to walk, right? Me either. And and so I, I got to thinking, and just so happened, if you're on social media the other day, some of you may have saw it, but Ella pulled herself up on the dog bowl and started playing in the dog's water. And I thought, there it is. That's how I'm going to relate. See, a lot of us, uh, we've been saved and we're shallow water Christians. We're in the water, but we're not really swimming. I remember as a kid, I went to uh, Wild River Country one year, and I just learned to swim and swim good. And, and so I, got, I thought this thought in my mind, you're not really swimming unless you're in the deep end. Well, you know what? You're not really living unless you're in God's will. And, and, and as a Christian, how do we mature to that? How do we get to that? And, and that's what I'm going to look at today is, is how do we get to the deep end? How do we get to living our lives in the way that God wanted us to live them? And the text that been on my mind this week is First Thessalonians and we're just going to read one verse to start out. In 1 Thessalonians 3.10, uh, it says, Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Let's stand and bow for a word of prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to come out today and, and look at your word and look at what it says uh, to us and help us to take something from it that we can apply to our lives, dear Lord, and we can live out your faith, dear Lord, that we can truly live Christian lives before you and before the world we live in. Forgive us all our sins. In your name I pray. Amen. The first thing I want to talk about this morning is sometimes I remember when I first learned to swim, we come to the deep end and we, we simply say, I can't see the bottom. And that terrifies us. Uh, the, the ability not to see what's right in front of us. Well, if, if you know, and as well as I do, that that's the way God calls us to live. By faith and not by sight. Right? And, and so let's, let's look at this. If you keep reading just a few verses thereafter in uh, verse 11, uh, it says, Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way... Unto you. The first thing I want, to, want you to see here is Paul was talking about going to the church at Thessalonica and, and instructing them. Uh, and it says perfect in verse 10, but really, if you look at that word, it means complete. He wanted their faith complete. He wanted it matured, okay? And, and so we, we look at that and we think, wow, Paul's going to do the faith, right? He's going to increase their faith. That's not really what Paul meant. If you go to verse 11 here, it says, God's got to get me there. 
God's got to get me there. To, and he was in complete reliance on God. He couldn't do it without God getting him there. As God directed, he would follow. And then if you go one step further and look at uh, verse 12, it says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Who makes the increase? The Lord. See, what I, what I wanted to get to here is we have to learn to walk by faith. We have to learn to walk and to trust God and to learn to trust Him more and more. A couple of verses we can look at is starting in Matthew 4.4. 4. You see, if we're going to build our faith, we need to learn to exercise faith. And the first, start, the first step in exercising faith is to nourish our faith. If you have a body and you're, you're trying to build muscles, and everybody will tell you this, the first thing you have to do to build those muscles is to nourish your body well. If, if you're malnourished and you go and work out, it's really not going to do you any good. But if you can nourish your body well and go work out, you can build something then. In Matthew 4.4 4 it says, but he answered and said unto them, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then just over a little bit in Romans, probably a verse that most of you are familiar with, is Romans 10 and verse 17. It says, So then faith cometh by hearing, right? And hearing by the word of God. We've got to feed our lives with the word of God. We're not going to grow in any kind of faith. We're not going to mature in a Christian life if we don't rely on God's Word. If we don't read God's Word, if we don't put it in our hearts, if we don't live it out in our lives, we're not going to mature as a Christian. The next, the next thing in exercise is do it. Just do it. Have faith. Uh, somebody once said, faith is like a rubber band. It's useless unless it's stretched. It's pretty true. 1 Corinthians uh, 5 and verse 7, what does it say? For we walk by faith and not by sight. Paul's urging them, and let me tell you, Paul's the perfect example. You look at his life, you look at when he was bitten by a snake, you look at when he was shipwrecked, you look at when he was in prison, Everything he did, he had to live by faith. Because it looked in those moments like the darkest, gloomiest points in his life, but yet he knew who was in control. When writing to the church at Thessalonica, he knew that if it was God's will, he would get there. He knew if it was God's will that they would be increased in faith. It's funny to me how often we trust God with our eternal life, but we forget to trust Him with our day-to-day. We, we, we say, oh, I'm saved, and we put our lives in His hands as far as eternal life goes. But then when it comes to our day-to-day, we try to control it. We try to make it our lives rather than the life He would have us to live. Why is that? If we could live our lives with the faith that it took to save us. That would be amazing. To go day to day and say, Lord, I trust 
that you're going to provide. Maybe it's providing an opportunity to witness to somebody. Maybe it's providing uh, for your necessities, whatever it may be. And, and a lot of people say, well, God gave us common sense. Yes, but He also called us to faith. And some things don't make sense. Jumping into a dark body of water that you can't see the bottom of, <laughs> that doesn't really make sense. But I don't know about you, but I've done it. And let me tell you, it was a thrill. Somebody told me it was there. You know what God's Word tells me? That I can trust God. If you look over in Matthew, there's a verse about a, uh, God feeding the fowl. And He says, I'm summing here, does not God care more about you? Wow. Absolutely He does. You know what? One of the other reasons we don't jump into the water is because we might get hurt. Uh, as a young kid, I, I don't know about y'all, but we did a lot of wrestling in the water. Alright? And in the deep end, things can happen. Things m- might happen. We could get hurt. And you know what? It, it's been said many times that when we open the door up to love people, that same door we open up allows other people to hurt us. If we love people, absolutely they can hurt us. But the reward is much greater than the risk. If you look at verse 12 here, Paul says that uh, in First Thess- Thessalonians, I'm sorry, 3.12, it says, And the Lord make you to increase and then to abound Abound, okay, do more, all right, in love, one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do towards you. Just to get this out of the way, Paul, in that last statement, he said, I'm the example. I came to you with the gospel. I came to you with preaching. Why? Because I care about you. As Christians, we should ultimately care that people are dying and going to hell and we have the answer. We need to care about others. We need to love others. But, but then, let's back up. And, and the first one he says, he says, love one toward another. If you look at uh, chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, you'll see that the first few verses, they're down to about verse 12, kind of discuss the same subject matter here in chapter 3. And if you look at verse 9, it says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. It's pretty simple, right? We're taught to love one another. In this congregation, we're, we're taught to love one another. Paul urges the church at Ephesus to have unity with one another. To, to look at each other and, and to think of each other more highly than themselves. <clears throat> if you look back at, at Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 12 and verse 31, it says, And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. 
Okay, most of you know the context of this, but Jesus is, is coming, uh, being asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all, everything you've got. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. We should love each other. Uh, why should we love each other? If you look over at 1 John, you know that as God indwells in us as Christians, we're supposed to love one another. First uh, John 4 and verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. As a Christian, as knowing that Christ loved us, we are, He's supposed to be our example to push us to love one another. But here's the thing. It's easy to love people in this room, Right? It, it's easy for me to love Brother Michael because uh, we talk, we walk, we, we maybe even look a little like each other. Not really. <laughs> but we're both here on Sundays. We get to see each other throughout the week. It's easy for me to love him, right? What about people outside these doors? Paul urges this church in... in uh, Back to our text in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12. Not only does he say we're supposed to have love uh, one toward another, but at the and there, and it says, and toward all men. Point blank. And toward all men. Wow. You mean I'm supposed to love somebody else that doesn't even have the same beliefs as me? Absolutely. We're supposed to have love towards all men. You know, Jesus really turned things upside down in this respect. In Luke chapter 6, in verse 35, what does it say? But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend hoping for nothing again and your reward shall be great and ye shall be children of the highest for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. What does it say right here? Your reward shall be great. The reward is worth the risk. We can dive into full Christianity. We can dive into a mature life as a Christian loving other people and know that our reward is greater than the risk. You know, one of the other reasons we don't dive into the deep end is because nobody else swims down there. If you get out in the ocean, you see people, if they can't touch, they're coming back, right? Why? there's things down there that nobody else wants to face. The same is for us as a Christian. We are supposed to strive for holiness. That's what God calls us to. And even though nobody else in the world is doing it, it's what's right. If you look at chapter 3 and verse 13 of our text in 1 Thessalonians What does he say? To the end, he may, who's he? God, may establish your hearts 
unblameable in holiness before God. Even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. He may establish your hearts. Unblameable in holiness. You know, that this is the thing. No matter how good a guy I get to be, I'm never going to be unblameable. I do things wrong, I make mistakes, and I understand that. But that does not give me a reason not to strive for holiness. Once again, let's jump over into the text in chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse 4. It says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concipiousness, even as the Gentiles which know not God. You know, as Christians, we're supposed to look different than people that don't know God. That's what Paul says here. The Gentiles, they don't know God. You're supposed to be holy. You're supposed to be able to contain your vessel. We're supposed to be different from the rest of the world. And let me tell you, when when we walk out into public, we have those same fleshly desires that everybody else is having. But God calls us to be different in spite of that. Do you know Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin? It is a choice we have every day to be holy or to be fleshful or full of the flesh. We can live in either way, but we have the choice. And yes, our fleshly nature takes over day to day, but it's something that we can work on. If you look down, why should we be holy? Look at verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despises, despises not man, but God, who hath also given us His Holy Spirit. Verse 7 is pretty clear. God didn't call us to uncleanliness, but holiness. In so much that He gave us His Holy Spirit. Not an unclean spirit. Not an evil spirit. But His Holy Spirit. And if that indwells in us, why can't we let it out? Why can't we be holy? Yes, it's a fight. But it's what God calls us to. We're to be sanctified, which is set apart. We're to be holiness, which, interesting enough, I looked this word up this week. Uh, Holiness is like deity. Pure when it comes to unrighteousness or the act of being righteous, holy. That's what we're called to. If you look over in First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. He says, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of your conversations. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. We know that God is holy. 
right? There's no denying that fact that God is holy. He is holier than we will ever be. But we're His representation here on earth. Doesn't it make sense if we're going to represent something to take on some of that identity? Think of a mascot for a school uh, such as ours, the lion. If I walked out there with with a lion t-shirt on and said, I'm the mascot, it wouldn't be nearly as effective as a person dressed from head to toe in fur with a big mask on with a mane and say, that's a lion. Why is it a lion? Because it looks just like a lion. If we're going to be mature Christians, if we're going to be the people God has called us to, why can't we look like God in the essence of holiness? It's what He calls us to. You see, as as I saw Ella playing in that water, the dog's water bowl, I thought, man, that's... Okay, her mom stopped her, but as I was thinking about it, I thought, man, that's just like a lot of Christians. We want to sit in the shallow end and play in the water, play in the water. But when do we really start swimming? When is that time? Some of us here, we've been saved and we've got that under control. And maybe before today we've thought, that's all I really need in life. God wants you more. He wants you to be in the deep end. Take a step of faith. Find people who love you. A church is a good spot. Alfred Tennyson said, "'Tis better to have love and loss than to never love at all." The reward's much greater than the risk. And then if you're a member of this church or any church rather, be holy. Because God is holy and He's called us to that. As we get ready for a hymn of invitation, I want to ask you this morning, is there something in this message that maybe is reached out to you and said, hey, I need to work on that. Hey, I need to mature in that area. Today's the day. (laughs) Why keep playing in the shallow end when you could swim? Why can't keep living life the way you are when you could live it the way God wanted you to?